Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. If you have it with you, you can turn there. You can follow along on the screen as well. Our wonderful media team is going to make that accessible to you this morning. I see young people with paper Bible. That is, that is, uh, that's impressive. Before I do, I, I, I forgot. We have something to celebrate. Now, uh, Leah, will you come here? I didn't ask your permission for this, and I know you'll forgive me, so I, I just want you to come here. This young lady, uh, she, we, we just had Winter Youth Crusade this Friday, Saturday, and Leah came with one of her friends from school. Yes? High school. Brought her friend to high school. She's been praying with her, talking with her, and, and this young lady helped pray her friend through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost on Saturday. And uh, it was a beautiful experience. So, I mean, we've been praying. We said, God, we need a spiritual breakthrough in our church. Now, this girl lives in Mississauga, but Leah helped pray her through. I was there to help. So we're counting it as one. One of ten, right? We're one down, nine to go. Nine plus. But this is what happens when we when we reach out. And, and you never know. Uh, you never know where God is going to take you. Amen. And when you reach out and pray with someone and touch someone, God can impact somebody else's life. And what a blessing. And I just want to celebrate you. You tell others about Jesus. Amen. And see, it's a beautiful experience. Nothing like it to pray your friends through and see them touched by, by the power of God. Deuteronomy 6. For hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. We're going to do something in a little old school. I want you to read that verse 5 with me again. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Will you love him this morning and just pray with me, Jesus? We pray that your spirit would move in our midst and touch our hearts. As we love you, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would shower down your spirit upon us, that you would touch us and change us. Let your word go forth this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. Sacrifice. We talked about this last week. It's the act of giving up something valuable to you for the sake of something more important and more worthy than the retention of your treasure or the keeping of your possession. We talked about how in the Old Testament, God instructed his people when they were to come into his presence, they were to bring a sacrifice. There was supposed to be some kind of a, 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 an exchange. They brought an animal in exchange for their sin. That the blood of that animal would cover their, their sin. And we talked about how Jesus took the place of those animals of the Old Testament where they would no longer come to the presence of God and require to bring a blood sacrifice. We don't need to do that anymore because Jesus stood in our place on the cross. And I love that that cross is what separates us from sin. Amen. That cross is what, what helps us bridge the gap between our former life and our new life. Our former life was fraught with bondage and sin and and uh, separation from God, continually trying to live and operate from our own understanding, our own wisdom. And, and when we 
encounter Jesus, his sacrifice bridges the gap between us and God, giving us access into God's presence. So Jesus pays the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, historians will tell you in detail what happens to someone when they get crucified. And just because of its gory nature, it's not something that I, I tend to delineate too much in detail because it is the worst, still one of the worst ways to die known to mankind. And that amazes me that, that between now and, and 2,000 years ago, crucifixion still stands as one of the most torturous ways to die possible. And Jesus did it for me, and he did it for you. He did it for everybody in the world, that whosoever would believe on him should not perish, but have eternal life. What did Jesus do? He was the merchant in the parable who saw a pearl of great price and gave everything he had to purchase that single tiny little pearl. You might think that that's a little on the extravagant side, a little bit on the crazy side, and the parable is meant to draw your attention to that because it seems like an unfair exchange. Mm -hmm. Sell everything you have. Consider it. Sell your house. And in these days, you do that, you might, you might get a lot of money for that, but good luck finding another one. <coughs> good luck. I mean, you're going to be, even if you sell your home, to buy something of equal or, or greater value, you're going to be uh, struggling with a mortgage with 7 plus whatever percent interest rate that there is. I mean, it's crazy out there. So sell everything you have, all your possessions, just enough for you to clothe yourself and, and minimalists just to purchase a single pearl. That's crazy. We would say that that was a, a foolish move on the part of that merchant. But, but Jesus saw that his life, what he had in this life, was far less valuable than your soul. Jesus even expressed on one occasion that, that the whole weight of the world's wealth, material riches, jewels, everything, could not equal the value of one human soul right. to God. Amen. That's an inestimable value. Look at someone say, you're worth it. You're worth more than you realize. You're worth more than you could ever understand. You're worth more than, than anything you could ever imagine or anything you could ever hope for or dream for. And Jesus looked down the corners of time and saw you and saw me and said, it's worth it. My life is worth purchasing this person's salvation. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. So he calls us into a relationship with him when you receive that, that free gift of salvation. When you turn away from your sin, we, we use the word repent, and that sometimes gets a bad rap in, in society. People don't like to repent. They don't like to be told, first of all, that they're wrong. They like to be reassured that they're okay. We all want to be reassured that we're good. I mean, there's all a good, little bit of good in everybody, right? Uh, the human person is genuinely, basically good, and then the Bible says, well, that's not exactly the case, that sin has created a division between real goodness and true goodness that's found in the Word of God. 
But Jesus bridged that gap for us. He gave us access into God's presence. And when we come into relationship with him and we receive his goodness, now goodness is something that is produced in us, not because, listen, if there's anything good that comes out of Pastor Joel, I want you to know it's not because I wear a nice suit. It's not because I have a tie clip. It's not because I preach. It's not because I went to Bible school. It's not because I grew up in a Christian home and I dedicated my life to God. It's not because of any of those things. If there's anything good that comes out of this life, it's because of the Spirit of God that's alive within me. He produces, the Bible calls, the fruit of the Spirit, which is goodness. The, the goodness that comes out of my life, if there's anything good that comes out of this life, it's the fruit that the Spirit has produced. Out of my life. Amen. If I if I if my reaction is a little bit more long suffering than the average person, which not always is, but when it is, <laughs> when long suffering is at work in my life, trust me, it's not a result of my my self discipline. Right. It's a result of the spirit that's producing that fruit Amen. in my life. Amen. Uh, that's a quick plug. If you want to know more about the fruits of the spirit, you need to come to Wednesday night Bible study. You won't, you'll be hearing a different teacher every week. So it's it's an exciting thing. You're not going to hear the same voice for four weeks straight. It's And I'm not telling you who's next. So you, if you want to know, you've got to come. Uh, you can find out more details in the bulletin. I'm getting ahead of myself with announcements. But Praise the Lord. Jesus calls us into a relationship where no longer do we offer animal sacrifices. We don't bring grain offerings to the temple anymore. We don't bring a, a sacrifice of an animal or a dove or a pigeon or a goat or a sheep or an ox. But we bring, the Bible says, our bodies, Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that's alive. Uh, typically, sacrifices were dead. You know, the grains were cut off from their, their, their stock. So they were dead. The animals were sacrificed on the altar, so they died. There were no living sacrifices in the Old Testament. But because Jesus died for me, now I can be a sacrifice that is alive. So what am I giving? I'm giving myself. I'm giving me. All of me. We read it this morning. Jesus was asked the question in Mark 12, what is the most important commandment? understand the person asking this question in Mark 12, 29, was trying to find the loophole. What's the minimum requirements? Be careful with minimum requirements. The Titanic had the minimum requirements of that day of lifeboats available when the ship sank. The problem was the Titanic was an anomaly. It was a new size of ship. And maritime law had not accounted for that number of people being on that big of a boat. So minimum requirements was for a vessel much smaller than the Titanic. Why? There were so many fatalities and not enough people rescued because they stuck to the minimum requirements. Be careful with minimum requirements. Amen, amen, amen. Don't live your life by minimum requirements. You do that and you'll find yourself in a divorce court. You live a, a relationship of minimum requirements, only doing the, the minimum to make the relationship nice. That's... You, you, there's an old saying, you, you bring 50 and I bring 50 and that's a relationship. No, you've got to bring 100% of you to the relationship and they've got to bring 100% and, and you bring your 100 and I bring my 100 and, and we make it work together. Amen. 
But I know we can't always give 100. So you got there's got to be give and take. You gotta you gotta say, okay, well some days you give 50 and I give 150. But right. but the next day there better there, there's got to be some more give and take. There's, do you know what I'm saying? You can't just live by minimum requirements. Amen. Amen. You gotta love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your heart. Jesus said, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Might seem redundant, but Jesus was encompassing the whole man, the whole person, all your heart. If you study the the trend of the word heart in the Bible, you'll find that it doesn't just mean the blood pumping organ in your chest. It means your desires, your emotions, the good ones and the bad ones. God wants your good emotions. He wants your bad emotions. What, what produces good emotion? Usually praise is a byproduct of good emotion. When you have good things in your heart, outcome words of praise. When you have bad things in your life, you don't always have to praise your way through it. Sometimes you need to cry your way through it. You need to bring your cares to the Lord. The Bible says cast your care on him because he cares for you. You bring him your good stuff and your bad stuff. You bring him your doubt, your depression, your anxieties, your fears. You bring him your praise, your joys, your, your rejoicings, all the good things and all the bad things. He wants your whole heart, all of it. And every decision, we talk about, well, they did that out of the goodness of their heart. You're not talking about that blood pumping organ in their body. You're talking about their, their, their individuality, their, their mind, their way they think, the, the way that they process things. So God wants that too. The Bible says he wants all your soul. Covered this a couple weeks ago. The soul is not some ethereal uh, thing that people can feel. Some call it an aura. Your aura around you. That's not what the Bible calls a soul. The biblical definition of soul is your neck. It's the literal word in the Hebrew is neck. God wants all your neck. What does that mean? Well, breath, drink, food, voice, everything has to pass through the neck. So the neck was a representation of the entire physical man. God wants your whole man, your whole physical person. Not just your hearts and not just your emotions and your desires. He wants all of you, your physical person, to be dedicated to him. He wants your, your actions to be dedicated to him. And then he says, I want, I want your mind, too. The, the, the place of reason and thinking. I want that to be loving me, everything about you. And then he said, I want your strength. Your strength is, is your, 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 your everything that you can produce, your talents, your abilities. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is, is, is saying, God doesn't want you to leave one piece out. Every fingernail, every hair on your head needs to be with love for God. Now, we live in a day, an age, where people say love is love is love is love. And the truth is, the Bible says you can love the wrong things. You can, you can love the wrong things. It's possible to love something that hurts you. All you have to do is go on YouTube and, and type in the words, uh, uh, people with reptiles. Pets with reptiles, pet, pet reptiles, pet reptile owners, and find out people can love things that will bite them and poison them and hurt them and constrict them and don't really care that they are a human soul. Right. I, I'm not 
here to preach against having a snake in your house. I'm just saying, you can love something that will hurt you. Right. You you can love a drug. Go to Philadelphia. Go to the streets near Philly, the suburbs of Philly, and, and see people living on street corners. Houses, uh, tent houses of people struggling with fentanyl addiction. They love that stuff. You tell them they love it. They might have a hate, a love-hate relationship with it, they say. But that thing is killing them on the inside. You can love the wrong thing. It's possible to love something that hurts you. And so the Bible tells us we've got we've to direct our love. We've got to tell our love where to go. Because we can love something that will hurt us. We can love something that will harm us. And so we're coming to this whole place. We've been talking about time, talent, treasure. How do we give of ourselves to God? And you see those, those sign-up sheets at the front at, uh, of the foyer, the back of the foyer, the back of the church. And you see the different teams you can sign up to be part of. They're open for everybody. Uh, there's no real major requirements. There's a few that have some requirements to them. But every team is basically open because we want to love God with our time and our talent. We want to love God with our strength. We want to, as a church, be ready to reach out just like Jesus reached out to us and bridged the gap for us. We want to tell our high school friends about Jesus. And I don't really know where that leads us to, but someday have the privilege of praying them through the baptism of the Holy Ghost at a youth convention or in a service right here. Uh, or, or, or see them baptized in Jesus' name and all of their sins wash away. You want to be part of that kind of thing, that kind of sacrifice, that giving up yourself to that so that right. God can use you to impact somebody else's life. Right. There's, the Bible also talks about our finances, our resources. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your strength. The, 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 the word strength there in the Hebrew that, that was in the original, the Old Testament, the Hebrew that Jesus was quoting is the word meod. In fact, uh, when it's usually written in, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, it's meod, meod. It's your, your muchness. Love God with your muchness. Your exceeding your everything, everything that extends beyond you, your physical person, whatever you can produce, whatever you earn, whatever you have, you're to love God with that. So how do I love God with my money? This could be a touchy subject for a pastor to stand before a congregation and talk about. I will, I will acknowledge money is a touchy topic. But the Bible has a lot to say about money. It does. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, the Bible talks about how God breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living person. And immediately, the God, God gives man a job. Day one, first breath, here's your new job. God created you to work. Men, ladies, God created you to have some kind of gainful work experience in your life. Amen. And whether that's from homemaker to physician to janitorial work to computer technician to IT to serving at a, a hospitality in some capacity in restaurant or the, the, the whatever kind of industry you have, whether it's mechanical or technical, whatever your bent is, God has created you to work. And God isn't okay with laziness. Right. Amen. 
God isn't okay with laziness. The word laziness is an adjective meaning sluggish, lazy, useless. God isn't okay with that. He didn't create you to be useless. Uh, Proverbs 13 verse 4 talks about the, the, the sluggard is a soul that wants nothing and they get nothing from that. They, they take no initiative. Proverbs teaches that the sluggard doesn't do his tasks on time and doesn't want to work and they create imaginary excuses. They walk out their door and they say, well, I don't want to go outside. Their lions might get me today. Their wealth and their health deteriorate, but they consider themselves wise, shrewd, it's funny, I've, I've watched people that are what the Bible might call a sluggard, and they work really hard to get out of work. They've, I mean, they've worked so hard. And you think, man, if they would just work that same effort to their practice or whatever, they would go so far. <laughs> and it's not a helpless state if somebody is bent towards laziness or, or procrastination, whatever. You can, the Bible says you can just take the lesson from the hand. Look at the ant. Learn from their ways. They have no prince, no governor, or ruler to make them work, but they labor hard all summer long, gathering food for the winter. So get up. Go to work. Find, a, find something. Get started. Oftentimes, uh, psychologists will, will, will try to work with someone who's, who struggles with laziness and find that it's not that they have a bent towards laziness, but maybe a perfectionistic mindset, that I want to do something unless I can do it perfectly. Well, the best way to, to get over that is realize you're never going to be perfect, you're never going to do it perfectly, and, and it's, that's okay. So it's better to just get started. Right. Maybe you're looking at something and it looks insurmountable, and so in, as because it's intimidating, you, you have this fight-and-flight response in your body that says, I'm either going to, some people respond to that mountain by tackling it. I'm going to conquer this mountain. And those people go somewhere. But then you have the, the one, the, some of us that like to run away. We're, we bend towards the flight response. That tends to be me. And so the better response, rather than run away, is break the mountain down into smaller chunks. Instead of looking at the, the biggest piece, uh, you know, like my daughter, I took her skating this week. Uh, and, and she's learning. It was her second time skating. She's doing great. And she looked at the rink, and she, I said, we're going to go all the way around. She goes, oh, no, Daddy, I can't go all the way around. I said, okay, well, let's just go to that light pole. Okay, I can go to the light pole. She got to the light pole. I said, okay, let's go down. We're going to make it to that next thing over there. She didn't know it, but by the time we, we hit all these little, these little break points, she made her way all the way around. And I said, look, Renee, you went all the way. Oh, I went. Because what looked so big when you broke it down into bite-sized chunks, it was doable. That's right. The Bible talks about competent workers are promoted, generally speaking. And lazy workers should not be fed. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Paul said, uh, you know, those who are not willing to work should not eat. Parents with adult children, I'm just going to leave that to your discretion, how you want to, how you want to apply that. Amen. The Bible talks about how saving money is wise. It's wise to save money. <laughs> Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. You know the old saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, that's a very wise, that should be in the Bible. It probably is in some way. That is a very wise, that, is, that has bit me 
on the nose one too many times. That little, that little phrase, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. I won't tell you all my stories. Maybe you go over to my house sometime for dinner and ask me, Pastor, what's the story behind that phrase for you? I'll tell it to you. Uh, it's a good one, and uh, God was good to us in our, our too-good-to-be-trues. <laughs> don't take shortcuts. Don't, don't, don't. The, the, the get, quit, get, the get rich, quick, get quick rich, is what I'm saying. Get rich, quick schemes are schemes. That's right. The, 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 the special powder you buy from this guy on Instagram that's going to activate these dormant molecular cells in your body to burn fat while you sleep and you can eat the ice cream and the steak. And I, I was the fool that watched the 30-minute thing on Instagram and really contemplated sending my $50 to this, this doctor online that was selling me this magic powder. And the Lord just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and just said, um, good planning and hard work leads to prosperity. I.e., Get to the gym and go to the exercise class and cut down on your carbs and your, your fat intake and just do it the way I designed your body to work. There's no, there's no magic latent gene in your body that is going to be activated by some kind of powder. Man, wouldn't that be nice to so eat whatever you want and just drink this little powder? But I, this little powder is just making this doctor rich. And... Me, still the same, not changing it. Get rich quick schemes don't work. The quick way out is, is not the best way. And besides, even if it was good, you wouldn't appreciate the journey. Right. There's a, there's a benefit to exercise. There's Yes, you may find the magic pill that cuts all the fat off your body, but God designed it so that when you exercise, you release endorphins into your body that combat depression, anxiety, and help you process your thoughts and thinking. Exercise does more for you than just burn carbs. It, it rejuvenates your body. It's rest for your body. Doing hard things is good. That's why I thought you were talking about money. Well, it's all applicable. Saving is wise. Yes. Joseph, the model saver of scripture. When you read the story of Joseph, he was made known, God made him aware, you're about to go into a year's, seven years of prosperity. You're going to have more than you know what to do with. And the, the, the temptation there is, well, we're just going to live it up and have a good old time on the farm. We're just going to live it up, eat filet mignon. I've never had that before, but I've heard it's expensive. Uh, we're going we're gonna to drink well, we're going to eat well, we're going to have a good life. That's the temptation when things are well. We're going to buy the boat. We're going to buy the extra property. We're going to buy the, the fancy car. We're going to do all these things. And Joseph says, wait! We're going to divide it all up into fifths. And we're going to take 20% and not even touch it. We're going to put it into a, a, a dank savings account. Dark and separated from the everyday account so that when the hard times come, will have something to live on. So what is the principle the Word of God teaches you? When you have extra, don't spend it, save it. Right. Find a way. Use Joseph's model. Take your, your income, divide it into fifths, 20% of your income, and squirrel it away somehow. Save it. If you can't do 20, do five. 
Do 10, do 1%. What, do something and save when there's, and then there's times where you shouldn't save. There's times where you need to put all your money into one uh, thing. I was listening to Dave Ramsey, if you've ever heard, he's a great resource on managing your money God's way. And it's a good, good source for you to, to look into this. He was interviewing a guy, called his thing and says, my wife is gonna have quintuplets. And we've been investing, and what should I keep investing? And Dave Ramsey said, put everything on pause. You've got five babies coming in one shot. You've got to invest all your money in the hospital costs, because in the U.S. they don't pay for your hospital unless you have insurance. And so you've got to sink all your resources, put pause on all your 401ks and your investments, because you've got to invest everything in this this, when everything settles down with your five children in one shot and all of their medical issues, then you re resume your, so there's there's give and right, take. Right, right. And, and I, I think it's wise for you to have a financial advisor, someone that can walk you through your particular situations, your investment portfolios, your debt load. How are you gonna manage all these things? The Bible also encourages us to escape the debt trap. Get out of, get out of the unnecessary debts. You know, things like mortgage payments, car payments are somewhat of a necessary debt in our society, but, but credit card debts, as fast as you can, like a bird escaping a trap. The Bible uses those ex, ex, uh, explanations to, to talk about it. Flee, flee that thing. Get out of that trap because the rich rules over the poor, Proverbs 22, verse 7, and the borrower is servant to the lender. A better translation says the borrower is slave to the lender. That's a harsh language, but it's it's really true. The one who's lending has control. They, they have control to hike the interest, to demand immediate repayment, whatever it is. So whatever you can do to escape that debt trap, get a financial advisor involved. Get somebody that knows money involved with your life. I mean, it'll you will bless yourself so much by starting to take chunks out of those things that, that, that complicate your life. You'll bless your home. It'll bring you peace to your home. Provide for your family. The Bible talks about a lot about money. You know, all of these principles I'm talking to you about today come from the Word of God. Provide for your home. It's, it's a godly thing to provide for your family. In fact, 1 Timothy verse 5, verse 8 says, chapter 5, verse 8 says, But those who do not care for their relatives, especially for those in their own household, have denied true faith. God makes it so plain that if you reject to care for your family financially and take care of them, you have denied true faith. And the Bible says you are worse than unbelievers. Not, and he didn't say if you aren't able. He said if you deny to do it. You deny to take up the responsibility to, to do it. It's godly to take care of your family. But the Bible also has another principle about money that sometimes gets, well, depending on who you're talking to, either overlooked or underemphasized. And that's giving generously. God warns us over and over not to love money, not to love pleasure, not to love the things of this world, to have an open hand when it comes to money. And that is a difficult thing. If there is a repeat theme in Scripture, it's to guard yourself from loving possessions, material wealth, and riches. Because money will corrupt. 
money will corrupt. The more you have, the more you'll want. There isn't a happy billionaire out there to this day. I, I don't believe it. Unless that billionaire is living a generous, truly generous lifestyle. Because it, you can just look it up. There's articles, there's documented research of people who win lottery and they become worse in just a few years than they were before they won all that amount of money because money was not their problem. Right. And so God calls us to live with an open hand. Why? Because the resources he's put into my hands, if they're, if they're meeting all of my needs and I have the ability to give to others, I'm extending a piece of my life to them. Think of this. When God breathed into man the breath of life and put him to work right away, Later on, when man sinned and fell out of the garden, God said, now you're going to have to work even harder for the bread that you get out of the ground. Your job was hard before, but now it's going to be harder because, because of sin. Sin's now complicating matters. So now we have, this, we have this idea that what we put into our work becomes an extension of us. We, we use the possessive pronouns like mine, my job. My work, my paycheck, my money, rightly so. We, after all, we were the ones who took our time and instead of investing it in this, that, or the other thing, we went to work for somebody else. And in exchange for our time and our skill and our, our trade and perhaps our education, we were given a sum of, of regular pay or salary or money or whatever it was. And so that money now represents the time in our life that we get to now take and use to spend as we need and see fit. Now Israel had this, this relationship with God where God said to them, I want you to give me a tenth of everything you earn. It's called a tithe what the Bible calls a tithe. And of everything they earned, everything they, they gained, God said, I want you to give 10% of that to me, right off the top. The first 10% belongs to God. Why? Because it represented God, this 10% actually represents the whole amount. It actually represents everything about me, and I'm surrendering it to you first. Before I pay my bills, before I do this, before I do that, I'm surrendering that 10% to you. And then God said, there's times where I want you to give a little bit beyond, above and beyond when there's a special project like the building of a temple. I want you to give an offering unto the Lord. An offering was something that extended beyond their regular tithe. Now, you understand, Israel, I, I, I hope you can grasp this, but Israel was a nation that had to have priests. Priests were their go-between them and God. Without a priest, you could not pray. In, 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 in the Old Testament. Without a priest, you could not approach God. A priest took your sacrifice and was, was chosen by God to take that sacrifice and present it to the Lord. And because that was such a full-time job and the priests uh, encompassed so much, God said, I'm not going to allow the priests to take up land because I don't want them to become burdened with the cares of life. They need to live free of the land. So because they cannot earn anything, the nation has got to contribute together to pay their salary. Because they represent God to the people and people to God. And so they have this very important job that if this society is going to work the way God wanted it to, the priests would stand in place 
between man and God and would exchange that. So their paycheck came from the tithes. The priests received the offering of the tithes and used it to feed their families. And, and, and in turn, the priests worked. There was a lot of work behind priest duties. And so when God confronts his people in the book of Malachi chapter 3, he says, he asks them this question. He says, will a man rob God? Is it possible for a human being to rob the eternal God? Is that even possible? Now that seems a little, a bit of a strange question because the Bible makes it very clear that God doesn't need your money. Right. He, he doesn't really need your riches. He doesn't need, the Bible says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. They belong to him. He doesn't need your resources. He's got everything he has need of. After all, isn't he the one who created the gold and the mines and the, the rubies and the pearls and the diamonds and the emeralds? God knows where they all are located and what hills and what mines and what rock formations. God knows where it all is. He doesn't need my money. He knows where the, the healthiest cattle are. They belong to him. So what is how am I robbing God? And God says, yeah, you've robbed me. Somehow, you found a way to rob the eternal God. How? How did we rob you, God? And he said, in your tithes and your offerings. You, you've robbed me as a nation because you've refused to bring into the temple those things that, that represent you. Remember, your work is an extension of you. And the money you earn from that work is a representation of that time. It's an extension of your life. So when you give to God, when you give that 10%, when you give that whatever percent, your offerings to God, you're giving an extension of your time and yourself to God so his work can continue because nothing happens for free. Churches don't exist for free. Right. Ministries don't continue to reach out to people free. They, they need resources to fund the work that God has called them to do. Amen. In fact, we see in the Bible people like Abraham and Jacob freely giving themselves and committing their life. And they said, even before made it a law or a commandment for the Israelites, that Jacob said, God, because you have given me this promise, I'm going to give you 10% of everything I earn. It's just going to go straight to you, God. Abraham, when Abraham won a great victory, there was a, a time where his nephew was captured by a, a, a very vicious and, and violent group of people. And, and Abraham, through the hand of God, was able to rescue his nephew and his family from those vicious kings. When he was done, Abraham said, I'm going to take 10% of everything we've earned from this battle and give it to God. I'm going to give a tenth, a tithe. God made it a, a part of the law of Israel that they were legally obligated to give a tithe. Now that, that law came fulfilled in Christ. I don't believe that there's a legal obligation for us anymore to give a 10% tithe to God. But the principle in the word of God of giving regularly to God. Right. How do I give regularly to God? I fund the work that his church is doing. I fund whatever ministry it, it is reaching out into this world. And, and trying to touch the lives of people for eternity. I'm going to give into that. Whether it's a tenth percent, if you want to follow that biblical tradition and that, that, that principle of giving a tenth, there is a blessing in giving to God. There's a blessing in giving to the work of God. When we have missionaries come through here 
and they present their cause, they present their case to you, and they have pictures to show for it, and they have documentation. I mean, you can follow their money trail down to the penny because it's there. You can follow it. It's available. We, we, I don't bring missionaries in here who we can't track where they go and where their money goes because we're going to make sure that they're going to be honest with the money that they're given. But that you can track their, their expenses down to the penny. It's very it's kept up very well because we want to know that when, they, when they're given this money, they go to their nation that, that perhaps is access challenge, where they're not even supposed to be there talking about Jesus, but they're risking their life to go. And this church is going to give to those kinds of people. We're going to give to people that are starting a new church in another community somewhere else because we want the message of Jesus Christ and the abundant life he offers to, to go into those unreached communities. We're going to give to the work that's going on here. If you notice in your bulletin, there's a little white slip of paper with our expenditures for the last month. We do that every month because we want you to see when the money comes in, this is how it's being spent. Every dollar is tracked. If you want a more detailed outline, all you have to do is ask for it. It's available. We make it available because it's transparent. This, this church is going to operate in a way that is it's one of our values. We're going to operate financially sound and scalable so that we can scale to a larger extent and still be accountable for the money that comes into this place. Because I want you to see. I don't want you to just see because, you know, you're, you're, you're a mathematician. You want to make sure, yes, they're being honest with their money. I want to see when I give to this church, this is the result. The result is someone at youth convention. How, how does that work? Well, pastor and his wife take, take the kids and, and make sure that they get to youth convention. We, we call and we, we do our work to make sure they go there and they get there. And when they get there, we encourage them, support them. And when they're praying for their friends in the altar, we can go over and pray with them and encourage them how to do it. And they get, they get the experience of praying someone through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That kind of thing that impacts the world, we want you to see. This is what the money that we're giving to God is doing. It's touching lives. Amen. It's reaching people. Mathematically, a tithe is a tenth of a percent of your income. Scripturally, it's a principle that you give to God. Now, when you cross over from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the word tithe is very, very sporadic. It's not there very often. Because I believe when you enter into the New Testament, you enter into a position where, where tithing is an okay principle, but the reality is God wants you to live like this, with open hands. Right. And so this month, God might ask you to give a little bit more than a 10%. Right. Because there's a greater need. Amen. And are you going to live with an open hand? Because the Bible says that if you store your treasures in heaven, Matthew 6, verse 20, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break through and steal, that is going to be a tremendous blessing to your life. God said, don't, don't try to store up your treasures on the earth, but store up your treasures in heaven. How can I store my treasures in heaven? By investing it into people. By investing my treasures into others. The only thing that's eternal, it's not your 401k, whatever your, your RRSP. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. That's a biblical principle to save and invest. Those are biblical principles. Invest in your kids' education. Those are biblical principles. That's in line with scripture. But there is an eternal element to investments. That when you give of your tithes and your offerings to God, 
when you give of, of your excess to the Lord and you give of your necessity even to God, you're storing up treasures in a heavenly realm. You're investing in eternity. When you gave this morning freely, no one pinched you or forced you or, or, or reached into your wallet and drew out a, 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 an amount and put it in the pan for you. You did it of your own free will. You were giving up your time and your investment and your will to God so that God could take that treasure and use it for his glory. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 gives you a promise. Those of you that give, those of you that invest yourself in God, the Bible says give and you will receive. Why? Because if I'm living with an open hand, God can put something new in my hands. If I give, I live with that openness that says, God, I'm giving so that I can receive and then that gift that will return to me will be full, pressed down, shaken together, and to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. It's a blessing to give. Jesus even said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Amen. Tithing and offerings is a way that we surrender ourselves to God. Now, practically, how does this look? Pastor, I've never done this before. I've never, I've never lived this way on a regular basis, consistent what it is. God challenges you to put him to the test. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, God says. If I will not pour open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, then there shall not be room enough to receive it. I know God's talking about tithing, the principle that isn't necessarily carried out in law in the New Testament, but the principle of you giving to God God will not be in debt to you. He will give back into your life, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And he says, you can even prove me on this point. If you devote this part of your life to me, you can put a test out. And say, God, I'm going to test you the next three to six months. I'm going to commit myself to giving this percentage. Why, why a percentage? It's just a principle. It's not mandatory. You can make it a flat number if you want. It's totally up to you. Because God does not want you to give out of compulsion. This is not a message to give you out of, to get you giving out of compulsion. If you're giving because you feel you have to, please don't do it. Please, until your heart is ready and you are ready, I would rather you hold on to that money and not feel the pressure to give out of, out of oh, if I don't, I'm a bad person. Please do don't until your heart is ready because God loves a cheerful giver. If the gift that comes from you is not cheerful, then, then hold on to it until it comes a point where God can help you understand and you can give out of a cheerful willingness to do so. Because if it's out of compulsion, there's always a seed of bitterness left behind. Right. Don't let, please don't do that. Don't feel compelled to give this morning. That's not what this is all about. I'm trying to open you up to a new way of looking oh, at this. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to, your life to be blessed. He wants your kids to be blessed. And he wants other people that you're connected to to be blessed. So whatever it is, why, why, why a percentage? We've, we've adopted the idea of a percentage because as our income grows, naturally the gift grows. As God blesses me, 
the natural increase happens because I'm giving a percentage. And so you can go that route, you can use that principle of saying, I'm going to give a percentage of my my income to God, whatever it is. I'm going to give a percentage. Should I? And some people say, well, should I give a percentage uh, tithe on the net or the gross? Well, the Bible talks about giving your first portion to God, giving your first fruits to the Lord. That's another principle. Giving your best to God because God's giving his best to you. But that all comes out of a cheerful attitude and a spirit that says, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, my knew my financial situation. I'm riddled with debt. Made poor choices. I became a, a surety for somebody else and now I'm stuck. Then, then you need the help of a financial advisor. Don't come to me with that. I, will, I, I am the last person you need to ask for financial advice from. I'm going to direct you to a professional that can help you walk you through that. And there may come a season where you have to put all giving on hold to deal with your debt, to deal with your, your financial issues. That's okay. In the goal that you say, I'm going to become financially stable so I can give generously to others. Right. Because I want my life to count for somebody else. Mm. I want when I die for there to be a hole left in somebody's life. Now, that, that sounds morbid. But I want my impact to be so deep in the lives of others that it will be missed right. because it was meaningful. Right. It was helpful. Right. It was blessing. And that blessing turns and blesses somebody else. Amen. We stand this morning. Hallelujah. Put the Lord to the test. Mm. I know this isn't really an altar call type message, and that's okay. That's okay. We're going to take some minute, a minute to pray here, and you can do so in your seat, because this, please hear me, if I've said it once, I want to say it again. This is not a compulsory message to get people to start giving. I want you to become aware of how God wants to bless your life. How do I get started? Start small. Start small with the intention to grow. Start small with the intention to increase. Put the Lord to the test. Say, God, this is something I've never done before, but for the next three to six months, you said in your word, you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. You said in your word that if I gave, if I stopped robbing you of me, because you're not really robbing God of money, you're robbing God of the relationship with you. I, Lord, I'm putting you to the test. If you, if, if I do this, you said you would pour out a blessing on me that I could not even contain it. There will be moments where it's hard, difficult, but if you put the Lord to the test, God's promises are sure. Pray and ask God to help you. Pray and ask God to change your heart until it's from a cheerful heart that you give to his kingdom. Can we just talk to the Lord for a moment? Bow your head, close your eyes, talk to the Lord, lift your voice, whatever is comfortable to you. But let's pray and talk to Jesus for just a few minutes. Lord, we want to live kingdom life. We want to live kingdom principles and, and live, Lord Jesus, not out of, out of our excess and not just for ourselves and not just for our own life and desires but god we want to live for your kingdom we want to live for your glory lord jesus we want to see people saved we want to see people impacted with the gospel we want to see people touched and blessed with the words of god with the the ministry of your spirit we want to see people in different nations and different countries coming to know you lord jesus because we were able to send a missionary we were able to send someone to start a new church in a new neighborhood in a new community 
God, we were able to, to help pay for, for lights to come on here in this church so the gospel could be preached. We wanted to we want to support things, God, so that people can receive the Holy Ghost and, and, and feel the touch of your spirit, have their sins washed away, come out of drug addictions. God, we want to be part of what you're doing in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, we thank you, God. We love you, Jesus. Touch our hearts. Change our hearts, Lord. We surrender to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, prepare us. Prepare us to be a sanctuary, God. Prepare us, Lord Jesus, to be surrendered to you today. 